morning. And I'm so um, just pleased and honored to be able to preach God's word to you. Um, this is my second time preaching in my life. And um, so I don't have my process down yet. And, you know, I know Alan, he, he, can, he can come in here and he can preach from bullet points and, um, and do an amazing job. And, and Evan the same way and Nick the same way. And I look up to these guys as, man, I, I can't do what you do. And they say, Justin, don't worry about it. Just preach the word. Lean into the word. And God will take over. And so that's my prayer for the day is that God's Holy Spirit will be present with us today that as I preach this word, that I'm not preaching Justin's word. I'm preaching the Holy Spirit's word. And the Holy Spirit has something that he wants to say to us today. And what he wants to say to us is that I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to leave you. And some of you are sitting here today and you need to hear it. You need to hear it now. You need to know that no matter what hardship you're going through in life, you need to know that whatever you think you've done, that God has decreed you righteous, that God has put an operation in effect for your life and in effect for each other to put his love on full display for the world to save you, but also to save each other. And you need to be a, a participant you need to cooperate in this, but you need to understand it. You need to hold on to it. You need to not let it go. You need to not let any external force, anything that you're going through, anything when you walk through this door that leads you to believe that God's not with you, you need to let it go. And that's what his word is looking to do for us today. God will never leave you. He is there in the midst of every situation. He is making all things, good and bad, work for your good for the good of his church, for the good of his sovereign will, for the good of his sovereign plan, for the good, for the glorification of your bodies, the promise that he's made. So I'm Justin Winters. I'm an elder here at Grace Hill Church. And um, I'm just thankful for anyone who here, who's here and new, and you're testing out Grace Hill for the first time. I'm thankful that you're here. Um, and I'm also thankful that if you've been here a few times and you're, you're not sure, but uh, look, we love you no matter who you are. If this is the only time you come to Grace Hill Church, we pray that God will press into your life and that you will form a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, here at Grace Hill Church, we've been working through this framework that we call the This Framework. And part of it is it's this triangle that, um, that our pastors uh, have written, and um, the, it, it's, it's a sort of at the top of the triangle, you've got knowing God, and at the left, you've got knowing one another, and at the right, you've got knowing ourselves. And what I love about Romans 8 is how it sort of brings all of this together. Everything that we've been sort of learning in this framework that members of Grace Hill have been learning in their Bible studies. And the other thing is that it, it sort of forms this trinity, you know, this this view of the trinity. And at the top, we have the Word of God, we've got the community, in community, how we relate to God, and we've got how we also relate individually. And so at, if you think about a trinity, if you think about what the trinity is, we've got the Father, we've got the Son, we've got the Holy Spirit, and we know that the Father decrees, we know that the Holy Spirit applies, and we also know that the Son executes. And so 
What I love about this, and as we go through chapter 8, we're going to see all of this on display. We're going to see how we're supposed to relate to God, how we're supposed to know each other, what Christ has put into place for us, what God has put into place for us, what the Holy Spirit is testifying on your behalf. And so I just want to pray for us now. I want to pray for this word. I want to pray for what you hear. And so, Lord, if you would pray with me now. Lord, I just want to thank you for this opportunity to pray with my church with your people. Lord, sometimes, um, no matter what we're going through, we, we seem to fear. Lord, even in preparation for this sermon, I feared. If I say the wrong thing, if I do the wrong thing, Lord, would you leave me? But Lord, you said that, no, I, wanna, I want you to step into the honor of what it is to be my child. Lord, your word says, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would just testify with us today and continue to testify with us as we leave here today, understanding your word and what it would, you would have it do in our lives. So amen. All right, so again, why I love this chapter. We've been in Romans 8, and like I said, this is my second time preaching, and as we were praying, um, and everyone knows, hello, Justin's been a little nervous. So I'm just going to tell you, I'm a little nervous, and it's okay, because I love you and you love me. And so as we're praying, Nick goes and says, man, it's going to be great, Justin. This is the climax of chapter 8. And I was like, oh, the climax. <laughs> so I've got to be ready to preach this word, but I'm not too worried because I know God's never going to leave me. But what I love about this is that there's a full presentation of what God has done. And as I said, all parts of the, of the, um, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, acting on our behalf to carry out the plan. And so I tend, I, as I was sort of going through the scripture trying to understand, God, what, what would you have these verses or what would you have your word say about these verses? And then it started to dawn on me, it started to dawn on me that, you know, there's a series of questions that Paul asked. There's lots of what you call who questions. Um, and I think of them as almost FAQs. And so what's an FAQ? It's like frequently asked questions. But I started thinking about these faith-altering questions that we ask ourselves, that we tend to disbelieve what God has done. And so if you think about like when you're going to go buy a product, if you're going to go buy a car, if you're going to go buy just about anything, what's the first thing that you do? It's like you emotionally want it. You know you want this thing. You want this shiny object. You want this service. You want to spend the money. But you go to the FAQs. And why do you go to the FAQs? Because you're trying to talk yourself out of buying it. You're like, maybe I don't need this. You start to get a little bit nervous especially when you're making a big purchase. You start to get really nervous about whether or not this is something else you buy. You start asking all these questions. You start getting really critical about things. Paul understands this about us. He understands that he just presented something that is the greatest gift that mankind has ever received. But our natural tendency is to get critical. Our natural tendency is to get critical of ourselves. Do I even deserve this thing? So Paul is venturing to meet each of those objections. Every objection that you have to believe whether or not Christ has done what he's done for you, he's answering in this section of Scripture. 
So I'm actually going to read the whole scripture. Nick, I'm not, I'm not going to ask that you actually bring up all the scriptures on screen yet because we're going to bring them up as I step through. But I'm going to read it just so that we have it. Um, and, you, and everyone, if you, open, if you have your Bibles, please open your Bibles to uh, Romans 8, chapters 31 through 39. And we're not going to present it yet, but it will be on screen later. But I'm just going to go through it now so we just have it in our hearts before I actually preach through this. And um, I'm reading the ESV version. And it's titled, God's Everlasting Love, for this section, this passage. What then shall we say to these things? This is, this is verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who, is in, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so I love, I love this chapter. I love this passage. And my hope is that um, if you are fearing trusting God and letting go and, and anything in you is keeping you from stepping in and giving him your heart fully, if you're afraid to reveal or even say out loud things that you're going through in your life, sin that you have in your life, I want you to know that nothing can separate you from God. And the reason we're stepping through this framework, we have this, this part of our framework that's called knowing self, but also knowing others. And sometimes when we're in relationship and we're in community, as Evan just said, one of the ways that we experience God and the Holy Spirit is through each other. It's through community. And oftentimes, we're scared to let each other know about what we're going through. I'm scared to admit to you something that I did just this past week because I'm scared that I'm going to be condemned. And on some level, I'm scared that Christ will leave me. On some level, I'm scared that when I get to judgment day, that he'll look at me and say, no, you're not one of mine. But that's not true. It just simply isn't true. We tell our, ourselves these things. We're already being condemned by the world. It's hard to be a Christian today, guys. Persecution of the church is increasing. God's word tells us that it's coming. But he gives us this eternal security in who he is and who we are, and that we need to saturate ourselves in this truth. He told us he gave us a helper. He told us that he deposited his spirit in us as proof. And one of the ways that we experience this proof is with each other. We give each other grace. We tell each other, no, God's not going to leave you. I had a hard time believing this myself. 
And so one of the things that we talk about a lot in church is, or at least what we've been talking about here, is can you experience church online? Is that church? A lot of folks are leaving the church. People have left Grace Hill. And it pains me when people leave. But it doesn't pain me as long as they haven't walked away from the faith. This may not necessarily be the church for them, and that's okay. But as long as they stay walking with the Lord and staying in the community of believers, I'm happy. But if you're leaving or if someone has left because they don't have the faith, they don't understand what the, what the word is actually saying, they don't understand how important it is to be in a community of believers, they go home, they watch something online, and it tends to take them away from biblical truth because they're not experiencing church locally. One of the greatest things that you need to do as a church, we need to do, is live life in front of each other. That's the call for a pastor. That's the call for an elder. You need to see my life. You need to know my wife. You need to know my children. You need to be able to walk into my home. You need to see your pastors on full display. You need to see my life. You need to know my sins. You need to know what's happening. You need to see how I use this word, this Bible, to attack what the world is attacking me with, what Satan is attacking me with. How do I apply the Bible? How do I use God's promises? How do I use how the Holy Spirit is working in my life? How do I attach myself to this promise? How do I not let go of it? It's you. It's prayer. It's my family. I spent years gripped by addiction to pornography. Do you think it's easy for me to say that from stage? you think it's easy for me to say that in front of a camera on YouTube? you think it's easy for my father to hear it? you think it's easy for my mother to hear it? They're going to watch the sermon. It's not easy. It was embarrassing. But God's word tells me I'm not condemned. There's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. I just need to believe it. I went to therapy. Justin, you need to forgive yourself. Just forgive yourself. Don't step into the shame. Get away from the shame. And the way you get out is you forgive yourself. And I kept trying what the psychologists were telling me. It didn't work. Because that's not what God says. God's the forgiver. God's the justifier. God's the redeemer. No, Justin, you need to understand that you have already been forgiven. You need to understand my decree for your life. You need to understand that the Holy Spirit is in you, working in you right now. What God decrees, no man, no force, no created thing can take away what God has decreed as righteous, holy, unblemished, reconciled to him, fit to be glorified. So understand, we're being sanctified. We need to live in front of each other. If you're sitting here today and you've ever had any type of issue, if you're a man and you've had to deal with pornography in your life, come talk to me. 
God uses this for our good, the good and the bad. And I think, how did he use this? He used this as part of my ministry. Because I don't want that taking you away from God's promise. He will never leave you. He's presented people in your life. He's presented this church as a means by which you can attach yourself to his promise. He will never leave you. We will never leave you. Let me say that again. We will never leave you. If you're a member of this church, we will never leave you. So I don't care what you're going through. Jesus doesn't care what you're going through. How can I care? He's given you the power to overcome it. In all these things, we are conquerors. So what does that mean to be a conqueror? Is it because we're great? Is it because of anything that we've done? No, it's because of what he's done. He's already conquered death. He's already been raised and sitting at the, and exalted at the right hand of God. He's already interceding. He's already praying on your behalf. Some translations say he's pleading. He's pleading on your behalf. He cries out for you. And he only asks one simple question. Do you love me? We tend to make it so complex. We tend to make it as if there's all these things. I know that Romans is one of the hardest chapters to get through. It's one of the most theological, dense letters written. It's one of the greatest letters ever written. It's studied by, by, by law schools. Because of how Peter lays out the law. You know, I just, it, it, I said, I, it dawned on me, I was like, what, what if, if Paul took the Enneagram, what, what would he be? And a lot of people online agreed that he probably was a one. And it makes a lot of sense because people who are Enneagram one, what do they do? They, a lot of them become attorneys. And he probably wasn't a very funny guy. You know, we, we, we read in the book of Acts of people falling asleep. <laughs> Uh, while he preaches, he himself said that he was a terrible public speaker, but he had a gifted mind. He was schooled by Gamliel, just like the Harvard of the, of the Pharisees back then. That's who that rabbi was. He was one of the most gifted Pharisees, rabbis of that time, and God used him. And so all of that to say that no matter how dense this is, no matter how complex, even Peter said, sometimes it's hard to understand. And we wrestle with this today. Justification, sanctification. What does it all mean? A lot of churches, we argue over the finer points of what he's trying to say in this letter. But let's not overcomplex it. Let's not make it overly complex. Let's understand the simple truth. He presented to us the glory of what God is doing, how the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are working on our behalf. 
this incredible and beautiful interplay of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, of how the Father has decreed, how the Son is executing on your behalf, how the Holy Spirit is interceding and praying and groaning with you through your suffering and through your pain, showing you that he's ever present in your life. And there's only one thing that he's ever asked us to do, and that's just to love him. That's what gets you access. Yes, the world is condemned. Yes, you need to love him. Yes, you need to believe in him. Because if you don't, it's not looking too good. We have a God who loves us. We have a God who has come to save us. We need to praise him. We need to worship him. This is a worship chapter, guys. Paul left us here. The Holy Spirit directed him to write, write this so that we would worship at how awesome God is. Not to critique it. Not to become overly critical. Not to go into our FAQ mindset. We don't need to inspect this. We need to accept it. And just like when I was gripped in that, in that horrible addiction in my life, I needed to accept what it said. I needed to accept the decree that God has made on my behalf. I needed to understand the plan that he put at play in order to get me out of what Paul calls this body of death to glorification. We're going to be conflicted, guys. We're going to have these two natures. You're going to walk into these situations. You're going to wonder, God, why? Why do I feel this way? God, why, why, why does my mind want to push me towards this? Why does my flesh want to point me to this? Lord, I don't feel like getting up, going to community group. Ugh. Lord, I don't, I don't feel like taking this phone call from my brother or sister that's suffering. Lord, I hate my job. Lord, my wife, she doesn't like me. Lord, my children, I don't know if they believe in you. These are things we think. These are things we go through. Lord, why haven't you presented me with a husband? Are you there? Why'd you let me fail? Are you there? Why'd you let me get addicted? Are you there? And God said, yes. I'm there. For those who believe. For those who believe that I'm working on their behalf to use everything in their life. For my good. So how do we use these situations? As Evan said last week, how do we use this tension? You put it on display for each other. You live in a community. 
You tell your brother or sister what you're going through because it may bless them too. It's an access to your healing. And it's an access for their healing. So if you're going through anything today, lean on this word. Lean on what this chapter says. I went totally off script. I'm just going to tell you. I mean, I had slides. I had all this stuff. I stayed up all night. My wife was like, are you coming to bed? No, I'm working on slides, babe. But I want you to understand this, church, because I feel like many of us just don't. And we've been working so hard on this desire for you to live in community. We've written a book about it. We're studying it. Are you just reading it just so that you know the answers when you get to community group? Or are you actually living it? Every week, our pastors get up here and tell us how we need to live in community. And so while this chapter, these verses tell us what God has done, how Christ was raised, how he died, how great that is, you know, we have this, this, this idea of this argument of the greater to the lesser. How great it is what God has achieved at Calvary. How great it is is what Christ has achieved on our behalf. Won't he do these little things? Won't he do the little things in our lives to get us through and power us through these situations? He will. I like verse 31. Verse 31 tells us, and I'm going to read it again, and Nick, you can actually bring the verse up on. I'm not going to go through my slides, Nick, but you can go through. Um, you can bring up the verses. 831, and how powerful it is to just think in awe. When Paul was writing to these people in the Roman church, if you think about what was kind of going through their minds at the time, um, the Gentiles were essentially running the Roman church at this time because the Jews had been exiled. They'd been pushed out because of the disturbances of, of this, this, this Christus that they all had started to follow. And so they said, if you're a Christian or if you're a Christian Jew, we don't want you here in Rome. And then after um, the emperor had died, they started to filter back into the churches. So there was this sort of cultural tension that was going on in the church at the time. And uh, I believe that, that that's important to know that Paul was actually writing to a predominantly Gentile audience, but that there were also Jews there who were sitting under Gentile leadership or didn't agree with what was going on culturally in the church. And we have a lot of these same issues today. But despite all of that, what Paul attempts to do with this letter is to sort of break everything down and say, church, let me show you what God has done. He's greater than all these issues that we're going through. And so he presents this great thing. And I know that the Gentiles are probably thinking, man, is this, is this for me? This is like a lottery ticket. I mean, if, if somebody came and walked up to me and gave me a million-dollar lottery ticket, I'd look at them and I would think, are you crazy? And I get suspicious. Like, why are you handing me this ticket? I wouldn't believe him. Or if I've been walking with the Lord for a long time, as the Jews had been, 
And I would try to understand, Lord, why you'd put me in this position. So you've got, you've got people who are new to the faith and who are excited about the faith, and we need to let them know, yeah, be excited, but guess what? Hardship's going to come. And we have people who've been walking with the faith, who are weathered, and who need encouragement and need to know that you're nothing more, you're more than a conqueror. We need to encourage each other with these words. And so Paul is attempting to say, no matter where you come from, no matter where you are, what stage you're in, you're more than a conqueror. And so he presents all these wonderful things. Like, this is awesome. This is incredible. And so he asks the question. He says in verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? All the ways that he's worked in our lives, the way that he worked in my life. What shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? And the obvious answer is nobody. I love how the NLT actually says this. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Verse 32, he goes on to say, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And again, I said, this is, this is what you call that argument from the greater to the lesser. And as I was thinking about just the, how incredible it is that Christ, that Christ died for us. But what really dawned on me in this verse, and we talk about the fact that God sacrificed his son. But I want to turn you quickly to Isaiah 53.10. And this really, it jarred me. And it says, but the Lord was pleased to crush him. Think about that. He was pleased to crush his son on our behalf. It says pleased. And it made me cry. It made me drop to my knees and worship him. He was pleased to crush him for me. I told myself for so long, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of that. He was pleased to crush him? That's insane. But he did it so that we would live. How incredible is that? How do you not worship that? How do you not answer yes to the simple question to Christ who searches our hearts? When he asks one simple question, do you love me? Yes. Yes. And that's all I need to do? to be worthy of what you've done? For you to forgive everything that I've done in my life? For you to bless me with a wife who feeds our church? For you to bless me with a daughter who I love dearly, who astonishes me every day with how smart and brilliant she is? I was so scared that God had left. I was so scared that my sin would lead to a life of despair. I was so scared of what it would do to them. But God restored me. 
He restored my situation. How could I not believe that he could when he was pleased to crush his son on my behalf? He was pleased. I'm sorry I'm screaming. Verse 33 goes on and says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. And as we walk through the day, so many people, you know, they try to tell you, why do you believe in this crazy thing called the Bible? Why do you believe he walked on water? Come on. Really? We see Satan trying to steal us from our faith all the time. We see the world trying to condemn us. We see us trying to condemn ourselves. We're fearful that our church will sometimes condemn us. But no. No one can bring a charge against God's elect. When he has chosen you, he will keep you. As I said before, he did not redeem you to leave you. He will always be there. One of the ways that this sort of plays out is that you become scared to do things, that you don't really step into the freedom of what God has given you. I've had friends of mine who were scared to do yoga as if, you know, I'm doing yoga and I'm praying to another God. It's like, no, you're not. You're in Christ. You have liberty. He understands your heart. He searches your heart. You don't need to be scared to stretch. Go ahead and stretch. <laughs> now, I'm scared to stretch. Because I am, man, I'm not even going to talk about it. My wife already knows. But no, God has declared us righteous. And I think, and I thought about that, and I thought about just to prove, I mean, and, I, and I often wonder, a lot of times people think about the book of Job and what, why was that there and what was the purpose of Job. And There's a lot of views on that Job actually was a, um, what you call a, a type, that he was actually given us a view of, of Christ in advance. But specific to what we're talking about today, one of the interesting things when you think about it is the fact that Satan went to God and said, God, the only reason that Job worships you, the only reason he's so faithful to you is because he has a good life. And God said, you know what? That's not true. And so Satan said, well, let me prove it to you. Let me bring suffering to his life. And God said, go ahead. Bring suffering to his life, and you will see. And so what did Satan do? He killed his children. He allowed all types of bad things to happen. He brought sickness. Every step in Job's life went from this incredible, beautiful scene to now complete despair. He had no idea why this was happening to him. He had these crazy friends around him telling him, you must have done something wrong. You must have done something to receive this punishment from God. Maybe you just don't believe. 
But he never stopped believing. Satan gave all that he had to Job. But he couldn't destroy his faith. Job did one simple thing. He loved God. He asked why. Why, God? His friends made him, tried to lead him to believe that maybe he didn't have faith. His circumstances surely made him believe and led him down that, that he was forsaken. But God was always there. And the only one simple thing that Job had to do in order to stay attached was just to have faith and love him. Because in Job's condition, he couldn't do anything. So when God decides to keep you, you will never lose your faith. You will never lose your, 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 your salvation. He's deposited his spirit in you. Verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And sometimes we ask, will Christ condemn me? Can I sin enough that God won't approve me? Can I, can I sin so much that even though I've accepted Christ and I've walked into church and I go to church study and Bible study and I do all the things and I come every single Sunday, will Christ condemn me? Because on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I'm not living the life. Now, Romans 6.14 says, sin will not rule over you. Because you are not under law, but you are under grace. God won't leave you. Now, that's no excuse to keep on sinning, because if God's spirit is truly deposited in you, then you're going to desire to be sanctified. You're going to be desire to be worthy and accept the promises that he gave you. You're not worthy today. None of us are. We're still sinners. While we live in this body of death, we are asking God to transform us to a glorified body. We are on this beautiful journey, and in order for us to get to the final destination, we need his word, we need his spirit, and we need each other to help us get there. You can't do this walk alone. You can't go on YouTube and decide that I'm not going to go to church anymore. This is enough. No, it's not. Stephen Furtick isn't stepping into your life. That's not to say anything bad about him, but that's something to say about if you're watching pastors online, they can't step into your life. You need people to walk with you. You need people who understand and can encourage you when plague comes, when sickness comes. You need people who understand God's word, who can continually tell you, God's not going to leave you. Let's open up our Bibles to Romans 8. 
There's no com- condemnation in Christ. Why do you think that? Why are you believing that? We need this encouragement. We need to pick up the phone and call each other. We need to know our anxieties, each other's. So let's step into that, church. Let's believe that we are in Christ. John 14, 11 says, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So if you are in Christ, you are in the Father. You've been accepted. You've been adopted. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or or sword, the threat of death? Why do these bad situations happen? Why did it happen to Job? Why does God let it happen? We don't know. But one thing that I do know is that he's working it to our good. He's made that promise. We know that this has been a condition ever since creation. We know that he gave Adam and Eve a commandment not to eat from that tree or else they would surely die. But they ate anyway. And so why did God allow that to happen? Well, what we do know is that God can't go back on his word. He told him not to eat. And so now we groan. Now we face judgment. Now we face consequences. I tell tell my children all the time, my daughter Logan is sitting here, and baby, I'm sorry if I'm embarrassing you. Um, But sometimes they don't listen. And she'll tell you. I tell her all the time, it pains me when you don't listen. I'm telling you this because I love you. And sometimes what I tell them not to do, they still go ahead and do because their nature pushes them in a different direction sometimes. And then as a father, I have a choice. Do I let it slide? Or do I have to let them suffer the consequences? And I have to let them suffer the consequences. But does that mean I'm not her father? Does that mean I'm not there every single step of the way while she's suffering these consequences? Does that not mean that I give a plan for her to get back to her privileges, which usually involves me taking away her phone and her getting it back? We lay these plans out, and we always end with it, I love you. I'm sorry you're going through what you're going through, but I had a rule. And you broke it, and I can't go back on my word, because then I wouldn't be God. So we need to understand who God is. We need to understand that he is truth. We need to understand that his truth is eternal. But we also need to understand that we're his children, and he loves us, and he wants to give us our privileges back. He wants to lay this plan out for us. All you got to do is just do what he said. Just do it. God is the epitome of a loving father. My little example of giving my daughter her phone back doesn't even compare, not even a little bit. In verse 36, it says, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And here Paul refers to Psalm 44:22, just to remind us that Our suffering has always been part of this Christian journey. And in the Old Testament, Israel often just didn't understand why they were suffering. And we know that they were um, 
asking God why. But today we don't have to ask why. Last week we had the answer. We suffer because it helps us to also identify with Christ. And it's through our suffering that we understand how we can begin to relate and understand how this whole big picture, this beautiful thing that caused Peter or Paul to ask, what shall we say to all these great things? It actually pushes us towards the glorification of our bodies, to this incredible journey that we're supposed to take and participate in. And so I'll leave you with this. I mean, when we think about what Peter did, when Peter denied Jesus and Jesus still didn't even condemn him, yet Jesus still built his church around someone who denied him. And Peter said, when Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. You know my heart. Yeah, Jesus knows your heart. So church, just love him. Know that he's conquered on your behalf. Know that as my brother Nick said to me, the climax of this chapter, understand it that in verse 38, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. No created thing can separate you from the one who created it. He created you, he created all these things, and he has the power to use them for your good and for our good. So death can't do it. No situation you're going through today, whatever you walk through, whatever you, when you walk through these doors, whatever you're going through at that moment, I pray that you leave here encouraged. I pray that you see what he did in my life. I pray that if you have any of the things that we discussed today and you need someone to step in, that you would talk to one of your brothers or sisters. You'd come up here to one of our prayer ministers. You would ask him to pray with you. You would jump in and get involved in the church. You would start walking in this life, this spirit in the life of Christ, because that's what we want for you. We want this promise that's been made that is so evidently displayed here in this chapter. We want this promise, and we yearn for you to have it. Paul goes on next after this chapter to yearn for his brothers in Israel, his fellow Israelites. He says he's anguished that they don't grasp this, that they turned away, that they just didn't do the simple thing. It's just to love them. So church, just love them. Accept what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. Expect, accept the fact that He's indwelled in you. He's present with you. He's walking through with you through every situation. Accept that your brother and sister in Christ has the Holy Spirit in them, and when you guys come together, the Holy Spirit is exemplified and is testifying on your behalf. Is there present in that situation? Wants to minister to you. Wants to plead for you. Wants to intercede for you. Wants to groan with you. Wants to pray the things that you don't even understand that you need to be praying for. wants to act on your behalf, wants to feed you the spirit and the word of God, wants to help you understand it, wants you to get this in your fiber and in your soul. 
Father, I just want to thank you for this opportunity to pray. Lord, I just pray that um, everything that we discussed today, that it would live in the hearts of those who've heard it. Lord, I pray that you've used my word, my tongue to express your word. Lord, that um, I just didn't get in the way. Lord, I pray that there would be action when we leave and we hear your word, that um, knowledge isn't just enough. We can have knowledge in a cold heart. Lord, I just pray that you would just soften our hearts to your word because that's what you want. You want our hearts. And it's a really simple formula, a formula that leads to salvation, restoration, and joy formula that lets us know that as Christians we can live securely in the promise that you made that you will never live us, leave us. You will always be present in every situation that we have, no matter what we're going through, and you can provide restoration if we turn our hearts to you. Thanks be to God for this church, for their faith in you, for their love for you, for their love for each other. Thanks be to God for what Christ Jesus has done for us and what the Holy Spirit continues to do for us, is doing in us, is doing through us with our faith and that you are interceding on our behalf. Thanks be to God and to our Christ Jesus, who our Father was pleased to crush on our behalf. Lord, I love you and I worship you. And I thank you. leave you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. 